Miller this past week. Um, had lunch with some fellow pastors in our presbytery, and they didn't know I was doing this. Um, but I, I was kind of doing this poll, and the poll, what I was trying to get at was just how busy are people? And not just the, the guys that I was sitting there with that, that lunch, but the, the congregations from which they come. How busy are their people? In this Christmas season, uh, how busy? Well, here's the big surprise, the results. Insanely busy. Insanely busy. So very few there at the table, and I think in this room, so very few of, of the uh, congregations that, that these guys represent uh, would have come back and would this morning come back and say, yeah, I've got, I feel like I've got a lot of margin. I feel like this is a restful time of year. I feel like I'm, I'm really able to enjoy it, soak it up. I'm getting good ample time to meditate in the scriptures and reflect on the significance of all of this. And, oh my goodness, my, my prayer time has just been so enriching. Very few, uh, very few of us. We're just so stinking, stinking, busy. And then I'm reminded, like, okay, there's that over here, and then there's this, like, bright light shining in, into that. And I'm re- reminded of this, this quote that I came across this just this past week from Martin Luther. Uh, those of you not really familiar with Martin Luther, Martin Luther was really the figure, the key guy in the middle of the Protestant Reformation some 500 years ago. And to say that Martin Luther was busy is, is like the understatement of the last 500 years. We're, we're talking about not only a, a husband and, and a father, a pastor, theologian, an author, a professor, the, the leader of a movement. It could go on and on and on. So he's a very, very busy man. And this is what Luther said of his days, of his schedule, of his busyness. This is what Luther said. I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Now, keep in mind how productive he was, how much is just, you know, we've got reams of stuff. And then his accomplishments, the busy man. And so I'm hearing that, and I'm thinking, I'm busy. But he's saying that, and I'm wondering, what am I so busy with? What are you so busy with? Yes, you're busy. But with what? And is it possible, given our meditating-lessness and our prayerlessness in the midst of this season and most any other, that maybe we're busy with the wrong things? Maybe time and again what we've allowed to happen is allowed good things to crowd out the best things. How in the world can we recover our sanity? What would it take to, to reset a birth announcement. A birth announcement. The birth announcement. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke is the third of the three gospel, the four gospels, the third of the four gospels, the, thir- the third book of the New Testament. We are in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20, in particular, mostly, not entirely, but mostly honing in on verse 14. 
the Gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest. We sang that just a few minutes ago. I'm going to read now, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Hear now the word of God. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Well, let's stop and pray for a moment, asking for the Lord's help before we go any further. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this time of year. Uh, thank you for its significance. Thank you for how we are just surrounded, surrounded by symbols and calls to, to joy and reminders of glory and peace on earth. Um, even behind um, surfacy aspects of the celebration, it doesn't take much to trace it back to its deeper roots and to find cause for thanks. We of all people should be most readily thankful and have eyes that just go right there and, and ears that are tuned to a call to give you thanks and praise for not just the time of year, but the, 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 its occasion, its reality, the incarnation, the Son of God becoming one of us. Well, would you increase our wonder, increase our confidence, increase our assurance, increase our joy, increase our anticipation. Draw us to prayer. And gladly, gladly so. We pray in your name. Amen. Wi-Fi is an amazing thing. Nearly magical, almost, when you think about it. You know, how you can just, just connect anything wirelessly, right? All of these devices. And you think in terms of just a few years ago, how things used to be. If you can just remember, just remember how just a few years ago, where you put in your home, your computer and your printer was completely contingent on a jack in a wall and the wiring. 
Your whole layout of certain rooms was determined by where the jack was. And even your beloved laptop, that ancient little thing that it was back in those days, with its two gigabytes of memory. Even your beloved laptop back then, mobile and convenient as it was, was in many ways tethered still to wherever that jack was, if you really wanted to, 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 to do some things. So, but now, now of course, we're also very mobile. Now you can just, it's so, it's so portable. It's, it's, I mean, you can go to the cafes. You can walk your college campuses, high school campuses as well. You can even connect in your car, in some cases, the newer ones, of course. It's just absolutely astounding. And of course, that all assumes a strong signal. And that can be a big assumption. We've had to work through some of those issues in our own house, uh, in, this, in this very building, on this property, in, in, in recent months. And then the way to get around that, of course, is to get some kind of a booster to, to you know, to go th through the walls and through the furniture and across the great distances and all of that. In, in order to get a signal, in order to get all these crazy little devices talking to one another in the way that they need to. All these barriers, though, all these barriers. Okay, hold on that. Last week we were talking about prayer and a very simple definition of, of prayer, and that being a believer's communication with God. A believer's communication with God and how as we grow in our understanding of the greatness of our salvation, we will be increasingly drawn to pray believer's communication with God. That said, there are barriers. There are barriers to prayer. Of course there are. It's why we don't pray. Fair? There are barriers to engaging in that. Here's the question. How would we overcome those? What would it, what would it take to, to change our communication with God, to enrich our communication with God, our, our ability to, to, to listen to him and then speak to him. What would, what would that take? And that then brings us to the text. These angels, angels, oh my goodness, angels appearing outside Bethlehem the night that Jesus was born to these shepherds. So what would it take, just coming to that text with this question, what would it take for our communication, our prayer, our communion with God to be changed, to be enriched, to, to be ignited, just to begin, and to be fueled, to continue. What would it take? This text shows us some things. This text actually shows us some things. The angels appearing, the angels appearing can change. As we grapple with that and the significance of that beneath the events, the significance of the events, as we grapple with that, the angels appearing that night over the skies of Bethlehem can change the prayers of God's people as we grapple with the significance of what's going on there. Now, how so? That's a fine thing to say. That's a fine thing to say, but how is that possible? If you, we just break it down in three simple elements is what we see in the text. It's three points in your, in your outline there in your bulletin. As we look at first who the messengers are, that can change the, prayer, the way we pray. As we look at who the audience was, that can change the way that we pray. And then, oh my goodness, as though those things weren't enough, as we consider the message itself. As we consider the message itself that can change the way that we pray, ignite and fuel. So let's look at these things in turn, these three things. First, the messengers, 
then the audience, then the message. The messengers, the messengers, angels. That's not really part of our common experience. So, and because of that, there's a lot of misconception and misunderstanding as to who and what angels are and their purposes and function and all of that. Let's be clear on some things. Let's just kind of clear the debris field here for a moment, if we can. The first thing's saying, they are not, as oftentimes depicted in popular art, fat little babies with stubby little wings. They are not friendly and familiar characters as often portrayed in TV shows and on film. They are not domesticated. They are not readily relatable. How do we know that? Because nearly every time an angel shows up in the record of the scriptures, Old and New Testament, people are terrified. As you see just in this account, just one account we just read just a few moments ago in Luke 2, the shepherds are described as being filled with fear. Have you ever been filled with fear? Think of how pregnant that expression is. That's what these men felt that night, seeing one angel. Just one. Okay, then who are they? Like us, they are created personal beings. Like us, they are intelligent moral agents. Unlike us, they are usually invisible but can be, at times, making themselves visible to the human eye, as we see in the text, as we see in the text. Their headquarters, if I can put it that way, is heaven. And there, there they gladly, continually, joyfully, fervently worship around the throne of God. That's their domain. From there, they are dispersed, sent to render help and aid and assistance to God's people as he deems fit. Again, as we see here, most, most in particular, it would seem that they are especially active at key points in the unfolding of God's saving plan. And if this is not a key point in God's saving plan, Jesus' arrival on the scene, we don't know what a key point is. So there they are. There they are on the scene. That's who is delivering this message. The host of heaven. That is to say, an army. One shows up, and then an army comes up behind him. An army. An army of angels. That's who's delivering this message. Fifty years ago this month, Christmas Eve, 1968, Apollo 8 was circling the moon. Jim Lovell, Frank Borman, uh, Bill Anders, that's the crew. They are the first men ever to leave the orbit of the Earth and orbit another world. Fifty years later, we just, we're not getting how pioneering and dangerous this was. This was an astonishing feat. 
And their message back to earth, Christmas Eve, was an astonishing message. So, get this, live TV audience across the globe, the largest TV audience of any, any, anything up to that time, almost 240,000 miles away, the crew of Apollo 8 is reading from the first 12 verses of the book of Genesis to the people back on planet Earth. Merry Christmas, good luck from the crew of Apollo 8 to all the people on the good earth. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas from Apollo 8. That's amazing. That's astonishing. And you know what? It's squat compared to this. Compared to that greeting over the skies of Bethlehem the night Jesus is born. You understand? I'm not, I'm not saying that was nothing, Apollo 8. What I'm saying is that, relatively speaking, it is nothing. It is nothing compared to who these messengers were. Now, what does that tell us as we begin to think that through and the implications of that? Who these messengers were. For starters, it's our clarion reminder that what we see is not all that there is. And, oh, we need to be reminded of I encourage you, take a walk outside today and just pray, pray, pray on the gates of heaven. Beat on the gates of heaven, asking that the Lord would reveal to your hard heart that this world and what you're seeing on that walk is not all that there is. The appearance of the angels makes that very clear, that this is not all that there is. What else does this show us? The fact that these are angels bearing this message tells us something about the truthfulness and the surety of the message. Because I can promise you, on the basis of the authority of the Scriptures, there is no spin in heaven. That's hard for us. We we struggle with a twofold struggle here. First, believing there are angels. And first, believing that there could actually be a message with no spin. And both are true. Both are true. Now, how does this impact our prayers? Oh, Lord, I am a man who lives as though, indeed, this is all there is. My life is littered with evidence of that. I live as though this is all that there is. Every day, all through the day. It's like an infection. It's just spread into everything. It's a poison seeping in my, all my system. I live as though this is all that there is. Help me. Have mercy on me. And I live as though this message wasn't true. And of course it's true. Who delivered it? But I'm not hearing it. I'm not seeing who's declaring it and unveiling it towards us, for us. Oh, would you help me believe? I do believe, but help me believe. I do believe, but I don't. I see, but I don't. I hear, but I don't. Help me. Help me. Do you see how this can transform our prayers? Just who it is that's delivering the message. Who it is that's delivering the message and the implications of that. The appearance of these angels as as the messengers of the message, the bearers of the message, as the messengers, changes the prayers of God's people, if we will but hear. That's the first thing. The second thing, following up on that, is the audience. Who did they deliver this message to? Shepherds. 
shepherds. Now, we need to unpack that and think about that just for a few minutes as well, just as we did with the angels. Some of you may know that, of course, the job description of a shepherd, whatever context, wherever it is, whenever it is, is to guide and provide and protect the flock. Okay? Guide and provide and protect. Simple job description. It's not easy, but the job description is pretty simple. And as you read through the Old Testament, again and again and again, what you see is that image of the shepherd being used to describe the leaders of God's people, at least what they were supposed to be. Royal image. In fact, God himself, right? Psalm 23. God himself is described as being, because he describes himself this way, as a shepherd. And the Messiah, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, described as being a shepherd. So it's a royal image, not here. Not on the fields of Bethlehem. These are not little kings. These are not people in the upper echelons of society standing, sitting, out there guarding their flocks by night. Hardly. They're not even regarded in that strata of the social spheres as being ordinary laborers. They're, they're not even there. You've got white collar, blue collar, I don't know what color this is. It's somewhere way down beneath. Not regarded as, as, as good as any other craftsman or any other farmer or any other fisherman or, or, or any other anything. You have to recognize that in, in that ancient Jewish culture, these men were dismissed because they were ceremonially unclean, having and being constant contact with the bodily fluids of these animals, with the carcasses that they would have to deal with from time to time. So simply from a, a spiritual religious standpoint, they are ceremonially unclean. Not just that, but they had a reputation that was somewhat dubious as nomads, you know, going from place to place to place continually confusing mine with thine, such that their testimony was inadmissible in any court of law. So who are they? Who are these shepherds? Outcasts. Rejects. The refuse of society. That's the audience. That's, those are the first hearers of the birth of Jesus, of that news, that the angels come to. Remember that old classic uh, Christmas special, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, with the little, you know, stop animatronic puppets and all that stuff? Like, see, so you've got Rudolph and um, Hermie, Hermie the elf who wanted to be a dentist, and Yukon Cornelius, and they go to, see, some of you are nodding, and the rest of you just aren't honest. Um, uh, they go to the Island of Misfit Toys, and I had to write this part down. Uh, there they meet uh, the, um, oh, what is it? I can't even read my writing. Um, there they meet the, uh, oh, sorry, the Charlie in the Box, not Jack in the Box, Charlie in the Box, so he's feeling like rejected because of his name, uh, and, and a polka dotted elephant, a choo-choo with square wheels, a water pistol that shoots jelly, a bird that can't fly, a cowboy that rides an ostrich. No, the bird swims. That's right. And then the doll, we don't know what the doll was. She's just there talking. And, and the boat that can't float. Oh, but then there's the king. 
the winged lion, king of the island. This is what he said to our heroes. When you return to Christmas Town, tell Santa about these homeless toys. I'm sure he can find girls and boys who would be happy with them. A toy is never happy till it's loved by a child. What in the world is my point bringing this up? Christmas is for misfits, for shepherds, for outcasts, for nobodies, which means it's for everybody, which means it's for you. It means it's for you. That's what that means. Angels came with this message to shepherds. Verse uh, 10, it's, it's in there, that initial thing that the first angel says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. If we're hearing that, on the one hand, that should be a, a message that, that is deeply comforting. but also humbling because we realize who we are ultimately numbered among the shepherds. Every one of us numbered among shepherds. So how does that change the way that we pray? Lord, I confess that too often I think myself far too deserving. I group myself with the in crowd. That's how I think of myself. I think of myself as, as in the bunch that is worthy of your coming. Of course you'd come for me. <laughs> I'm on the A-team. Heaven's a better place with me there, right? I'm such a fool. I can be such a fool. The gap, as I see it, is between me and those people. gap as I see it is between me and the outcasts. And that's what's behind all my posturing and all my pretending. The only gap, the only gap is between me and you. And oh, I am so thankful that you have bridged that gap. Where would I be if you had not? The appearance of the angels to the shepherds changes the prayers of God's people. One last thing. There's the message. There's the message itself. What it was that the angels said. And there's so much to be learned here as well. 
Again, you see it just with, you get a hint of it just in, in verse 10. Uh, we read it a moment ago. Let's go back to it again. Fear not, for behold, I bring you what? Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That's something explosive, that, that terminology. Good news of great joy. It's gospel. It's the gospel. Good news of great joy is what the angels have, have delivered. How can it be described in that way? Well, if you go down into verse 14, and, and we hear what it was that that host, that army proclaimed, then we begin to see why it could be described in, the, in this way. Great good news of great joy. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. All right, let's break this down. Let's first talk about what it's not, because this is how we hear it. It is not a surface peace. It is not merely just satisfying for bare minimal absence of conflict. That is not, biblically speaking, what peace is. This is not earthly peace. This is not something that we can create. This is not, and, and, and in terms of the, the contemporary culture, that culture. This is not the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, good roads, safer travel, Law and order, which all which the Roman Empire brought, oh, but all at the expense of crushing taxation and occupying armies. And no ability whatsoever to reach the heart. That was the Roman peace, the Pax Romana. This is not a surface peace, nor is this a pseudo-favor. This is where sadly some of our translations through the years have missed this. This is not, in the angel's words, goodwill toward men. The old King James, sadly, that's, that's a poor way to put it. Nor is it men of, to men of goodwill. See how conditional that is, how man-centered that is. Now, this is peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is not a, a surface peace. This is not a pseudo-favor. And nor is it irrelevant, this message. This, oh, it's just a Sunday morning thing. It's just a matter of, of your private convictions, personally held. That's so much more. So, so, so much more. This is not a, a surface piece. Again, what did the angels say? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is true peace, shalom. It's the Hebrew word. The way things are ought to be. That's a pregnant phrase, too. The way things ought to be. Beginning, peace with God. Peace with God, peace from God. Peace with God. And flowing from that, yes, this is what the angels are speaking of, peace within. Peace within and peace with one another. That's what the angels are saying. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the coming of the kingdom that comes with the coming of the king whose arrival they're singing of here. Glory to God on the highest, on an earth, peace. This is not surface peace. This is not pseudo-favor. This is divine favor. This has nothing to do with what we do. This grace, this mercy. This has, did you hear me? has nothing to do with what we do. 
Nothing to do with what you or I do. Nothing. And that message is so radical and so counter to how we think and live, it inevitably brings scandal wherever it goes. It has nothing to do with what we do. This is not a pseudo-favor. This is divine favor. And lastly, far from being irrelevant, this is revolutionary. Did you know what the way they put this? Glory to God in the highest, and on heaven, or in heaven, peace, no, on earth. It lands. This message lands here, now. On earth, in your house, in your life, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in our community, on earth, on earth, is the good news of the angels. You see how that answers all of our deepest questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose to be? Where is everything going? The, it's, it's, yeah. This, this message addresses that and, and so much more. This message grounds everything. Your deepest impulses, our deepest impulses, longing for grounding, for there being something substantive to support ethics. human dignity and love and beauty. You have an instinct that that's true. Now you see it's not just your imagination. It's actually real. There's eternal grounding to all those things. How do we know that? Because the angel's message, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is Please, the angels, those who could see better than anyone else what was happening, come with that message. They come with, with that message. You know, one of the, an interesting exercise might be uh, this afternoon when you get home is to Google or whatever your search engine is, top trending news stories of this year. And of course, depending on who's compiling the list, that will largely determine what's on that list. This is the top story ever. Not of the year, not of the decade, not of the millennia, in the history of the world. This news. And by the way, it is news. It's not advice. It's news of what has been done, not advice as to what you should do. Those are two very, very different things. This is news of who has come and what he has done. Now, how does that impact our prayers? Again, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Oh, Lord, help me. My ears, my heart are so prone just to hear this and think you are speaking of... Ah, a pseudo-peace, a pseudo-favor, a surfacey favor, and it being irrelevant, just, you know, just kind of set on the shelf, bring it out when you feel like, that's the way I'm prone to hear this. And the way the, this, the people that I know and love and care for are prone to hear this, oh, would you help me to hear the real message? Would you help them to hear the real message of real peace, of divine favor, 
of something that connects and lands and transforms and changes any and everything. Help me, put me there amidst those shepherds. And help me hear what they heard. And and see what they saw. And then like the angels, and then later eventually like the shepherds, make me a herald of what I have heard. Make me, make me a herald of what I have heard. You see how this changes? The appearance of the angels with this message can change the prayers of God's people. Now, we are drawn to pray for all kinds of different reasons. All kinds of different reasons. I was thinking of poor old George Bailey uh, this past week. And who's not thinking about George Bailey, right? You know, it's a wonderful life, in case you were checking out there. It's a wonderful life. And poor George. George has given so much of himself over the course of years, his dreams. He's just sacrificed everything towards the well-being of his family, his friends, and the whole town, the community of Bedford Falls. And now Christmas Eve. George is a broken man because of the loss of this loan and the machinations of Mr. Potter. And there he is at his wit's end at Marconi's bar. And an angel shows up. Remember, now by the way, that just chuck that as far as your theology of angels are ages, just saying. But okay, just for argument's sake. So Clarence, Clarence falls from heaven. Why? As an answer to prayer. I don't know if you remember this, but basically the whole movie is a flashback. As an answer to prayer, his children, George, George's children, and his own. This is how George prays there at the bar. Dear Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man. But if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. Show me the way, God. Now, what was it that drove George Bailey to pray? Desperation. Well, of course he was desperate. Who wouldn't be? But is that the only grounds? Is that the only thing that should drive us to pray? What about our guilt? And our gratitude. What about wonder and praise? What about longing and hope? Well, what could stir such things within our hearts? What could change our communication with God? What could ignite that? What could fuel that? Not just here at Christmas, but throughout the year, this coming year. What could ignite it and what could fuel it? The events of Christmas and the realities that they reveal. The messengers were angels. The audience was shepherds. And the message was the gospel, the good news. And my friends, to the degree we can hear that, that will change our prayers. Let's pray. Lord, here we acknowledge what we're seeing here, what we're reading here is hardly part of our normal experience. We don't bump into angels. We don't really come into contact with shepherds. We can hardly, it's hard for us even to hear this news. We have a terrible way, a terrible habit 
a heartfelt stubbornness at holding all of this at arm's length, which we confess to you is beyond just a mistake. We ask that you would help us to listen such that we would hear, that you would help us to see such that we would know, that indeed that you would make us into a praying people because you are drawing us, drawing us to see the greatness of our salvation, drawing us because we can see what it is in Christmas and the realities that it, 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 it reveals. So, so, make us a people whose hearts are just ablaze with wonder at what you have done and why you have done it and for whom. And oh, would you make us a bit less busy, but a whole bunch more celebratory and deeply, deeply joyful. We pray in your name. Amen. As the ushers are preparing for the next element of our worship, which is the giving of tithes and offerings. Scripture this morning actually brings us to a, a, a pinnacle. It actually provides the real providence and the real provision for all that we have. It is not ours. This is the word of the Lord. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have pro provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. Let us worship this morning in the giving of our tithes and offerings with this in mind. It was not a silent night There was blood on the ground 